Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Long Overdue, a Franklin Library podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. I'm Brittany. And today we're going to talk about some of our recent reads, but also Where the Crawdads Sing, which is a book from 2018 by Delia Owens. Uh, But we wanted to highlight it because the movie adaptation comes out next month. It's scheduled for July 15th. And actually, a patron came in the other day and requested that we do a podcast episode about Where the Crawdads Sing because it's coming out for a movie. So if you have a book you want us to talk about or a genre, let us know, and we would be happy to talk about it. Um, So we've all read Where the Crawdads Sing, right? Yes. Yes. And so I read it, I think, in 2019, maybe. I believe that's when I did it. So almost a year after it came out. Did you read it right away, or are you like a recent reader? I think I'm. I read it even more recently than that. I think maybe like 2020. So I read it summer of 2021. Okay, so very mm-hmm. recent. Yeah, I. Yeah. I was gonna just say I get when like when books get super popular. If I haven't read it when it first come out, I like rebel and I don't want to read yes. it. Yes. And so this is one of those that I'm sure you both experience this too, is everybody asks for it and gets real frustrated because the lists are super long. Mm -hmm. And so I had heard enough about it and I was going on vacation and it had come in. So I just checked it out and I read it in vacation. It was really good. Um, Also part of it, and this is kind of embarrassing, but on the front of it, it was selected as a Reese's book club, which is Reese Witherspoon's book club. Um, I did not realize that, and my first thought was, why does Reese's Peanut Butter Cups have a book club? <laughs> I would join that book club. <laughs> little little bit odd, uh, but no, it is, it's Reese Witherspoon. Oh, <laughs> uh, and now I'm thinking, I'm like, we should outreach to Reese, Reese's Pieces and be yeah. like, make a book box, and a you just box. get your Reese's while yeah. you can re- eat them while you read. Unless it's a library book, then please don't eat candy. Yeah, please don't do, especially chocolate, <laughs> especially... I yeah. listened to this, so I can also give the perspective of the audiobook. I don't know if... Andy, did you do book or did you do I, audio? I read the book. Um, one of our book discussion groups here at the library was reading it, and that was back when we were meeting virtually, so I was trying to read all the books that they were reading. So I did read it um, at that time then, so, so yeah. I could join yeah. in on the discussion. Yeah, and I read the physical copy as well, um, although I do read typically many more um, audiobooks than physical books. Um, But if you haven't read it or if you're interested, it um, takes place in the marshes of North Carolina uh, between about 1952 and 1969. um, And it follows um, the storyline of the the swamp girl, or the marsh girl, as she's known. and kind of her life, and it flashes between present day and years before, um, kind of details her life growing up, but is set through the lens of a crime scene because somebody was found dead, and she is one of the suspects uh, in the case. Um, But it's fascinating, and I love the structure of the book, that you like kind of find more stuff out as you go, but you never know all of it. Um, but it keeps the reader really engaged. Yeah, I, I, I like that too. It, it was, um, I think if it was just told just in sequence, it probably wouldn't have been quite as, as good. 
um, just flashing back to her early days uh, when she's abandoned by her family and uh, living on her own out in the swamps is very interesting, but just to have that kind of broken up by the investigation mm-hmm. and all that stuff, I think, was a good um, way to tell the story. I think I also appreciated um, what the author did with highlighting how when someone's abandoned and how that impacts their personality and their engagement with other um, people. And I thought she really showcased that well with Kaya Mm -hmm. and her relationships and then when people hurt her, how she responds. Yeah, and Kaya is is the character's name. um, Yes. Not Marsh Girl. No. Uh. (laughs) Marsh Girl's what the townies call her. Which then also highlights that um, because she was... um, I, I won't get too into detail, but she's essentially orphaned and living by herself in the swamps near a town. Um, so she's already kind of separated from that society. Um, and then, yeah, they all call her the Marsh Girl, which kind of further separates her. And how she tries to... Sur- her survival is based on her interaction with nature, like collecting, mm-hmm. I think, oysters or fish, and she sells them to receive money. Mm-hmm. And so that really reinforces the town's perception of her as being a marsh girl. Yeah, there's many a scene where she just comes after digging up uh, different animals and things from uh, the marsh when the waters um, go out. Um, so that would be what, low tide? Yes. Um, and then she digs through the mud and then collects them and because she lives in the marsh she just walks into town and sells them and so she walks into town just all covered in mud so not necessarily up to the posh town (laughs) yeah she's definitely an outcast Mm -hmm. although eventually you know kind of does interact more with the townspeople Mm -hmm. um and the uh, and the murder victim. Yes. Yeah, and, and so part of the reason why she's a suspect is because she was involved with the murder victim. Um, and so you you know who the murder victim is, and then you see them kind of um, engaging together. Um, but she's always very wary of it. She always thinks that the people are up to something, and um, she's very slow to trust um, other people so yeah I mean I thoroughly enjoyed it um, and I'm, I'm very excited to see the movie I, I hope they do it justice because yeah. I always feel like they fall short or they leave out a major plot point which is why I always prefer seeing a movie when I've read the book like mm-hmm. four years ago because I'm not as fresh on it where then I'm not sitting there I'm like they left out that that was super important why did they leave out that point yeah, so I'll be three about three years removed uh, from reading it, so hopefully I don't get too upset if there's any major missing <laughs> aspects of it, but from the previews and stuff, it looks like it'll be hopefully pretty good. Well, I think um, Reese Witherspoon is involved with the production of the movie, too, so I would mm-hmm. imagine, you know, since she was uh, such a big proponent of the book that hopefully mm-hmm. they will stick to the story pretty closely yeah and i i don't i don't want to say that that's the only reason the book is popular but because she did include it in her book club it became significantly more popular 
after that. And I'm pretty sure, I think it was already really popular before mm-hmm. it came out, and then mm-hmm. it just went. Yeah. Um, because I I got it from my mom when it first came out, and my mom's like, "You've got to read this." I'm like, "No, everyone's reading it. I'm not gonna read it." Yeah. Uh, and she said it was so great. However, I don't. We used to, we had a coworker here who did not like this book, and she said um, what annoyed her was all the descriptions about the like nature. She's like, "I don't want to hear about that." Oh, that was one of my favorite parts. Of that. that's, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say too. I thought that was a very well done uh, element in the book is all the her connections to nature and mm-hmm. her uh, surrounding environment where her home is and all the collect you know collecting that she did of things from nature. I think yeah. I think that's what pushed me to read it because she wanted to know my opinion on it and I didn't think it was like I read what is it Anna Karina. Karenina. Yeah. And that one was like, he was like, and the weeds turned yellow. And he spent 40 pages on the weeds or the grain or something. And I was like, oh gosh, this one I thought was a very nice, Mm -hmm. it was cinched up, but you still captured the beauty of where she lived. And without spoiling the plot point, the descriptions of nature and her interaction with it lead to like further points in the book so so it makes sense it's not there just for fluff it it actually comes back around and builds yeah. so yeah all right uh Brittany, you had something else to chat yes. about yes so i read i'll show myself out by jesse klein um it's a bunch of little essays that she wrote as a woman entering into like her 40s and as a parent um, and I, as a parent myself, I really resonated with a lot of her essays. She doesn't sugarcoat it. Um, she kind of gives it what it is. And I think the most touching line from this book for me was when she was talking about our mothers. And she goes, as a child, you remember your mother holding you and like rocking you. And you're like, oh, my mom loves me and giving you that attention and love and then she goes but as the mother you want to scream your head off because you would just want some of your own time (laughs) but you are going to give that love and attention to your child and so she really captures um this new parent style of um communicating how hard parenting is um she talks about her son and that she was potty training him and she's there are books that terrify caregivers and parents like you must potty train your child before two or they'll never be potty trained and she's like oh my gosh my child's gonna be graduating like and not potty trained and so she bought him this teal little plastic toilet and he would only go to the bathroom on this toilet they would be out in public and they'd be like do you need to go potty and be like no and she would she was like in Starbucks like pleading with him to go potty but he refused to go to the bathroom and she's like I'm sitting on the floor as my child is screaming in the Starbucks bathroom and she's mortified and she talks about before she had kids the judgment she would be like oh that parent doesn't have her child under control and she's like now the roles are reversed and then she found out a friend told her very gently like okay you have potty trained your child using this mini toilet but now you have to re potty train your child to use the big toilet and she was just like 
can we never win? Um, <laughs> so it was, the essays are very short, um, mm-hmm. especially if you don't have a lot of time. Um, you can knock out an essay or two. Um, she talks about like the aging process and um, there was an essay about how she started losing her hair and her hair started thinning and she, her now husband, she had to whisper her secret like, I'm losing my hair. And her doctor's like, this is natural. This is natural. And like having to learn how to embrace these changes. And mm-hmm. so um, it's not a super long book. It's I really enjoyed it. Um, I kept it a few days late, and so I paid, I think, a dollar and fine, but it was totally worth it. Um, she had a, another book that she wrote out um, a few years ago, two years ago, um, and I'm hoping to read that one. It's only like 240 pages, which is really short. And yeah. What's the um, like target audience? Who do you think would enjoy these essays? Are they all like mostly about parenthood, or I'm gonna is it a mix? S- it's a little bit of a mix. I would probably, I would probably most likely recommend this to. Um, I'm gonna say more so mothers, or anyone who is taking care of children, because she does deal with some of those female changes mm-hmm. and body changes. But I don't. I think other readers would probably enjoy them just as much because I think she, she talks about her husband maybe balding. I can't remember. So I think even um, older, an older audience would enjoy it. And yeah, but I would definitely say if you are raising a toddler at home, you would appreciate her stories <laughs> at least the first half of the book, and then yeah. she goes into more of the changes of life entering your late thirties, mm-hmm. early forties. She also writes for Saturday Night Live, so that kind of, or she used to. Oh, okay. So, that so she has of, that kind of comedy writing. Yes background that's that's always nice i would yeah yeah, definitely i would recommend it and great enjoy yeah all right and andy did you have anything else to talk about yeah um i uh just finished uh happy go lucky by david sedaris that's his most recent book it just came out pretty recently um I think I've read all of his books, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I'm I'm a fan. He's one of my favorite writers, really. Um, if people aren't yeah, yeah, if people aren't familiar with him, he is a humorist and essayist. So all of his books are pretty much all of his books are uh, essays. Um, he's also a very popular attraction on the lecture front, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, readings front he uh, I've seen him a couple of times in in performance then also um, and he's very very funny um, and also very uh, interesting I mean he's kind of a student of the human psyche or mm-hmm. personality or uh, he, he likes interacting with people and always has unusual experiences and he has kind of a an eccentric family who mm-hmm. play a big part in his life, and um, they make up probably the bulk of his material. Um, and this book was no different. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot, uh, and I think most people who enjoy his works will will like it also. Uh, I don't know if it's as laugh out loud funny as 
some of his earlier books. Um, and again, uh, since he does a lot of performance, uh, I know he's also very popular to listen to on the audiobooks because mm-hmm. he reads his own audiobooks and he he definitely reads them in a way that no one else could. And um, yeah. also his his voice is just kind of humorous as well. There's just some quality to it. Yeah. That, that he can put in those inflections that are, you know, very good as well. But I, I think pretty much all of the books that I've read um, of his, I've, I've read as a book. Yeah, he has that um, kind of dry humor voice. Yes. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but that's, I think, mm-hmm. the best way. Yes. Is that his humor can be kind of dry, but also like laugh out loud funny um but his voice he can really do like kind of a deadpan Mm -hmm. voice when talking about just hilarious things which then amplifies it right that that's Um, exactly it yes and that's that's kind of how he got his start was doing the santa land diaries on npr right is where Mm -hmm. he really kind of became super popular in the mainstream Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and he just read it on the radio so i think that uh, him his writing and his vocal performances kind of go hand in hand. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so I would say this new book uh, is, you know, some of his more recent adventures and experiences. Um, and it kind of goes with the times, I think, a little bit too over the last few years. It's, you know, a little bit more um, serious and somber and some of the things that he gets into are you know, maybe not quite as uh, laugh out loud funny again, like I, like I was saying. Like, he does talk about his experiences, you know, during the early parts of the pandemic. Um, he lives in several different uh, locations throughout the world. He has, uh, uh, I think, a couple of apartments in New York and then uh, also a home in England. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, he's talking a lot about in a couple of the essays the early part of the pandemic um, mm. being in New York there uh, and he one thing that he does a lot of is walking mm-hmm. uh, wherever he's at he he just walks like uh, yeah. like crazy and so he I thought that was a really interesting story about going out walking in New York uh, in the early days of the pandemic with how deserted the streets are and um nothing is open and you know even during the daytime i mean he does talk about walking at night also but um but just how how empty and quiet everything uh, was or at least com- in comparison to normal and i guess he, he kind of enjoyed that solitude a little bit too especially with the the walking um but then he does say that he was sad that so many stores were closed because he loves shopping yeah which is something that he's gotten into uh more in some of his more recent books okay uh that how he loves shopping Mm -hmm. and buying all these crazy clothes and his uh his sister amy who people may uh also know of she's an actress amy sedaris and um they are definitely um both lovers of shopping and have a, a great time out getting all sorts of interesting stuff. And But he does, again, also get more serious, too, kind of worrying about whether some of his favorite places will still 
be around after all this. And um, one of the other life changes then too is he is not able to tour, which he loves doing. He loves mm-hmm. being out with the audiences and interacting, you know, with with people. Um, another thing that happened, uh, he does have a also. Oh, I forgot about this this residence. He also he <laughs> grew up in North Carolina. He has a beach house in North Carolina oh, yeah. called the C Section S S E A. And so that was severely damaged in a hurricane recently. Oh, really? So he talks a little bit about having that rebuilt, and um, that was kind of interesting and sad because that's kind of his family retreat where they all get together. Um, and as usual, like I said, kind of one of the main focuses of the book is his eccentric family. Um, and probably the main event that occurs um, and I'm I don't think this is a spoiler uh, his father passed away mm-hmm. since his previous book came out uh, he was 98 years old oh wow um, yes that. he was yes yes he had a very very long life and so this is kind of a little bit more unvarnished look at their family life their early family life he does talk a little bit in probably a little bit more um, explicit terms of some of the strife in the family, you know, just how um, he felt his father was certainly uh, mentally abusive to mm-hmm. all of them. Um, and, you know, right up till his, his death, he was like that too, although he did kind of, in his very later years, um, kind of mellow out a little bit and was, you know, a little bit more... Um, happy um but uh so he does get into uh a lot more about his relationship with his father um and uh i did read some criticism i think i was just looking at some reviews uh on amazon from Mm -hmm. other readers that didn't exactly like that more unfiltered version of his family Mm -hmm. which um i don't know People change and times change and yeah. writers evolve. So uh, that's kind of how I I feel about uh, that that idea. Um, you know, it's just kind of part of of his growth as a writer and also just kind of thinking you know more deeply mm-hmm. uh, about his family relationships. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, if you are a writer and you you write narrative nonfiction, like or not narrative but um uh like biography Mm -hmm. nonfiction. Mm -hmm. i don't know um like sedaris does like he writes essays about his life obviously you're going to write about a major event like your father passing away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know he's i've always felt pretty open and unvarnished with how he writes yes about yes. everything so that yes. to me doesn't seem like a surprise so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to read it I haven't read one of his books in a while um, when I was in high school I think I read Me Talk Pretty one day which mm-hmm. is probably one of his most well known mm-hmm. mm-hmm. books and then shortly after I graduated college I blew through like three or four other ones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one after another and then I just kind of haven't read any 
lately. Um, my all-time favorite piece from him, though, is probably this essay in The New Yorker about when he got his Fitbit, mm-hmm. which he loves walking, like yes. you said. Yes. And he went into all this detail about how then it was a challenge to every day to get more and more steps. And being David Sedaris, he takes it way extreme. Yes. Um, and by the end, he's talking about how he's walking down the side of the road, approaching midnight, trying to get extra steps in, and his feet are just bloody stumps because he's been walking so much. Right. And, um, it's just very humorous. Um, oh, yeah. No, he made a comment <laughs> in the book here that that was another one of his worries during yeah. the pandemic is if he wasn't going to be able to get out and get his steps on his Fitbit, yeah. that that would be, you know, there'd maybe be some sort of, like, uh, problem with his Fitbit. Like, it would... Uh, think there was you know something wrong with him or re- do some yeah. sort of reset or something like right. that so <laughs> yes uh, walking is a very big part of his life yes for sure yeah all right well i think we got one time for one more book okay. um and so i just recently listened to the audiobook of girls in the stiltos um it came out last year and it was written by kelly mustaine and one of the reviews that intrigued me was this is the next where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, wow. Or uh, all of them mentioned, like, for readers who liked Where the Crawdads Sing. And I was huh. like, oh, that, that fits me. Perfect. Um, so I went to go listen to it. And um, there, are, there are definitely similarities, but it's not quite. Um, this one takes place in um, the swamplands of the Natchez Trace in Mississippi. Huh. Um, and it's set in the 1920s. So it's a little bit earlier... Um, it's more that deep south versus um, kind of coastal east south, um, east coast south, I guess. Um, but it deals with two girls, Ada and Matilda, who you quickly find out are the girls in the stilt house. Um, and um, Ada lives there with her father, and he's um, abusive and controlling, and... Um, you kind of get the sense that like oh, okay we're gonna follow this story and then you find out about Matilda and you listen to her story and then you kind of flip back and forth and I thought it was going to be similar structure to where the crawdads sing and it wasn't because then it very quickly just follows one character for a really long time and kind of goes back to the other one and the story itself is really good it deals with these two girls Um, And it's in the 1920s, so they don't really have any agency to make it on their own. Um, So it deals with the struggles that they run into. Um, Matilda is a black girl who lives on a farm and is a sharecropper. um, And her, um, I think her parents and grandparents were slaves still. Um, working on that farm and then after emancipation became sharecroppers so that's built into the storyline and Ada is white um, and like I said lives in in the house with her abusive father Um, so I I can see the similarities I liked Where the Crawdads Sing a lot more and from reviews I've read it seems like a lot of people agree with me Um, Yeah, um, at first when you're talking about the book, I didn't recognize it, but I think I, I have heard mm-hmm. of that one. Um, yeah. Just uh, 
regarding the the two characters, one black and one white. Yeah, um, I think I do remember uh, reading a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, so it's um, yeah, it does sound kind of somewhat along the same lines. So I guess I kind of see how mm-hmm. they would say if you liked one, you'd like the other. Um, but um, I guess it's really it's good that they're different though too. You know, you wouldn't yeah. want to just have the same exact story um, mm-hmm. too. So um, sounds like there's enough different types of elements in it that makes it um, probably worth reading on its own rather than just uh, as a companion or something like that too. Yeah, the crawdads sing. Yeah, it's definitely different enough, and and I always hate to say that I dislike a book based on what I thought it was going to be um, because that's not how you should review a book. You should review it based on what it actually is. Yeah. Um, and my main kind of gripe with it is that um, the story sometimes I feel like progresses too quickly or things are resolved really quickly um, and you can kind of see what's going to happen before it happens so there's not a whole lot of suspense, um, and I feel like it was built up to kind of have that suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that was just an editorial choice or if the author really wanted that. I'm not saying you shouldn't read it. I did enjoy it. It does have kind of the elements of um, like that southern landscape. It's set in the 1920s, so it's a little bit historical. Um Definitely worth a worthwhile read, um, but I did I did prefer where the crawdads sing. So, does the storyline take place over a f- large amount of time? Then, too, the the girls are friends for. I think it's a long time. Only or? about a year or two total. Oh, okay. um, I, there are a handful of flashbacks from further back, um, but the main bulk of the story is only about two years, uh, maybe three total. Um. Yeah, I don't know. So that's one thing that definitely sounds like it makes it different from yeah. where the crawdads sing is. It's not a single character who's on her own um, mm-hmm. all the time. It's it's two two friends. Yeah. Living their lives and yeah, and and with where the crawdads sing, like we said, it takes place over almost twenty years. And so there are flashbacks from current day um, all the way back 10, 15, almost 20 years. Um, so you kind of get a bigger scale. Um, and, and I guess my main gripe with it is it's compared to where the crawdads sing. And I think only because it's kind of swampy and in the South and not present day. Um, so I think that characterization is a little bit inaccurate. So there's no murders? Uh, oh, right. I'm not oh, going to say that okay. there aren't right. any murders. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there, there are murders. Um, oh, so okay. it, it, that, I guess, is also a similarity. But you will just have to read and find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's all we have time for today. So thanks for listening. Um, and this is a badge for our summer reading for 2022. So congratulations. You finished the episode. You can go claim the June podcast badge and get an extra ticket Um, and we will see you next month